everyone, Eric Watson here, freelance writer, player of games, writer of words, recorder videos, and tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to the Thursday edition of my bi-weekly behind-the-scenes DM-only livestream, Crafting the Deep, in which I build right and prepare for our next session of Call from the Deep. If you are playing characters, Gottwald, Maxavra, or Toral, the stream is not meant for you, but for the rest of you are, of course, always welcome. We stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday. You can join our official Discord server with invite link in the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash Rogue Watson for our campaign. We use Roll20 for streaming. I use OBS Studio. It is literally a gorgeous Thursday outside. We are in some really unseasonably warm weather. Like, we are having a very, very mild winter here in the North Texas area. It's usually this is our worst period of winter, like freezing and snow apocalypse, ice mageddon, whatever cutesy terms we use to deal with the horrendous winter. But right now, it's like. 68 degrees outside or something crazy like just absolute magic sunshine all that stuff which means i really need to start like doing some i don't know chores and housework and shit outside <laughs> usually this is like the period in which i don't have to do much because we're all like hunkered down but uh i've got a lot of like things i need to do around the house uh the outside of the house and uh i'm, I'm running out of excuses here like garage work and all this like now we're still probably due for another cold front i'm sure this is called, like, the false, maybe the first false spring. <laughs> but uh, it's a little crazy, because we're in, are we almost mid-February? Like, early February still. Anyway, I hope, uh, hope the weather is treating all of you okay. Avon, welcome to the stream. New fan of the channel and new to DMing. Fresh meat. Fresh meat. Good to have you aboard. Nate, Jason, Captain Mike, good to see some regulars. Gorgeous outside in St. Louis. Good. Good. I'm glad we've got some nice weather all around. So I talked about uh, the boss battle we've got coming up, but I may actually use this crafting stream to kind of jump ahead of the action, which is obviously what we should be doing on the crafting streams anyway. So we always stay at least a little bit ahead of uh, where the players are. Uh, but just to go over things, since we literally stopped kind of right before this boss fight, this is a very unique boss fight because... The players are coming in to save an Aboleth. <laughs> so they've got it. They've got this very powerful boss like monster on their side, basically. And then it's a whole bunch of like minion forces that they're actually uh, fighting against. And I've mentioned maybe hand waving some of the Aboleth's actual attacks because it's very strong and just kind of describing them cinematically, if I could get away with that, perhaps. Uh, like its tentacles, just bashing skeletons left and right and everything. However, I do I do love the idea of the Revenant, the pirate captain, uh, as part of the deal that was made to hire this captain by the dragon, that uh, he can, ah, for whatever reason, the dragon was able to aim the Revenant's vengeance abilities on the Aboleth, which is why he was able to track the Aboleth exactly where it was, and more importantly, he'll be able to use his vengeful glare which i'm also tempted to hand wave away because i just really want to get that off for cool cinematic purposes so perhaps when the party arrives uh and we first start this battle i'll still roll initiative i think for everybody but just kind of describe their things happening versus maybe rolling them out in the open i'm hoping i can get away with that the party may balk but we'll see as i often roll everything out in the open uh but ju just allow him to get his vengeful glare off on the aboleth and then that paralyzes the Aboleth because, importantly, I think that will help the party feel like they're 
actually there to save the day because we talked about like if you just look at the stat blocks and stuff the Aboleth feels like it would just be able to win this fight with yeah it would take some damage but it would be able to like not it just doesn't feel like you're really saving this creature. It's so powerful. But if you if they can see the Revenant getting off this Vengeful Lair and paralyzing the Ablet, and also the Ablet's taking a ton of damage, like then the party can feel like, all right, we're going to swoop in and really help things out. And I also love the idea of when the Ablet breaks out of the Vengeful Glare, because as written, technically it only lasts for a round, although I can obviously play with that if I need to. Uh, when he breaks out of it, then I can... I'm using a lot of cheating abilities, I realize, for this fight. Uh, then I will trigger the Ablet's... Uh, Psychic Drain ability, where normally it can only do that on a target it's charmed, but for maybe it just lashes out because it just got paralyzed, and it's actually, um, I think it becomes frightened after the paralyze ends, and it just does this psychic wave where everybody just has to take 3d6 psychic damage. I may have to allow a save for that. That might be a little more fair. Uh, maybe I'll even up the damage and let him say, I don't know, I may change things a lot. <laughs> Just to keep things interesting while this wave of force comes out. So, but but still, that way it's less sinister that like the Aboleth is like, purposely like draining life from people because then I think the players will be like, alright, well fuck you, we're just going to kill you. Versus this is like, oh no, he's just flailing and in danger and he's it's almost like just he's malfunctioning or something. And so that psychic drain hits everybody uh, and everybody has to take some damage but the goal will be obviously to just defeat the skeletons defeat the revenant um i don't even think i'm going to track the abolith's hit points frankly because i'm going to let it survive no matter what but just again describe the damage it's taking and things versus the revenant i would love to ask all of you where do you think his hit points needs to stand it mentions in the book that he's at half hit points um right now i put him at about two-thirds i think just to give him just to let him last a little bit longer in this fight although i I am going to be down a player. Um, Mac and Cheese are not going to be in uh, this session. He's going to, uh, Raymond's going to be out of town this weekend. So uh, maybe I do need to actually lower the Revenant a little bit just to help make things a little bit more fair. What is half of uh, 136? That's 768, I think. Let's test that. So we put you back at max and lower it by... Oh, I nailed it. I nailed a math thing. Holy man. Uh, that still gives him 68 hit points, which is about how warm it is in Texas right now. <laughs> uh, which, I don't know, that still feels okay. Maybe if he could die... I mean, honestly, hit points, it's the one thing I can cheat on, right? I can keep it, I can keep it close to hand and just describe him as being injured. How many enemies do you plan on having? Uh, well, I'm keeping things as written so far, which is that he's got six skeleton allies with him, although it's triggered that ten more skeletons are supposed to join the fight, along with, uh, the priest and two Koatoa whips, which seems absolutely insane to me, because the priest and two whips very much outclasses ten skeletons. We already introduced the priest earlier, so I'm not worried about him having to join, although he could come in and do something if they need to. I don't, I don't think I need to... If anything, I feel like I need to make this fight more challenging and not less challenging for the players. Again, because I've already got the Aboleth there, right? The Aboleth can make things easier but just by me cinematically destroying, you know, skeletons or whatever. Like, I just don't feel like I need any more uh, help. Like, the players are the the reinforcements. So I definitely don't want to add any reinforcements from the Aboleth's uh, point of view. But I could add more enemies. But again, yeah, one, one thing that really... I think I was going to do that initially, but since we're going to be down a player... Uh, this session, um, 
I, I don't feel like we're going to need to do that too often. I mean, we could throw a few more skeletons in there. I've got, you know, some waiting in the wings right here, clearly. There's also the missing white. Uh, we did defeat the Sword Wraith Warrior, but there's a white supposedly on this ship somewhere as part of the crew, which is just uh, really just the uh, the next step up from Skeleton, I guess. I think they have about maybe 30 hit points plus multi-attack. Uh, the main thing, though, if we can time it right with the Revenant getting off the Vengeful Glare on the Aboleth, so maybe that'll be his because I think that is a full action for him to do that. So he does that move, and then the Aboleth is paralyzed. So that means in one round, the Revenant's not really doing anything to the players. But then after that, if we want the paralyzed to last longer or something, basically I want to give the chance, because right now it's a weird it's a weird case where the players are coming in, they're having to save somebody, but like all the enemies are engaged with that creature. So they can't really turn around. I guess you can have the back ones turn around and start fighting the players. But they're underwater, which is hard to convey on this map. And that's something I need to remember. All of these battles right here are like at the bottom of a 20 foot, which is very deep, by the way, like most pools, if, if you're in like an in-ground pool or something with a deep end, you may go down like 10 feet at the deepest. 20 feet is pretty fucking deep. You're getting to like lake depth at that point, not like recreation pools do not go that deep. So that's like, I'm mean, trying to picture it like frighteningly deep. Uh, I mean, obviously with a creature this size too. Um, so that's all happening underwater so that also might color the fight a little bit although Toral doesn't care he's fathomless warlock uh and Gottwald has a potion of water breathing although it does he does not have a swim speed so that may still affect his um movement and underwater combat I think he has to be limited to his fists at that point uh Savra I would allow her to target creatures underwater um, if she were using something like a firebolt or something, that would probably affect it. But I think she mainly uses like chill touch and uh, toll the dead. I don't see either of those actually affecting uh, having the water thing affect it. And then uh, it, depending on the spell, like I could see like, you know, Tasha's Caustic Brew. Like, I don't know. It, I guess it's up to me on terms of how much I want to have her spells affect uh, underwater versus not. If she had something like Shatter or something, that would work just fine, I think, underwater. Uh, just picture like the depth charges going off or something. So I don't know how much it would affect. I, it would probably affect Mac more than anybody, and he's not going to be here because uh, even though he's got his cloak of the manta ray, um, I think that would still fuck up a bow. I'm not actually sure if the swim. I'd have to go back and look at underwater rules. Does having swim speed just negate all underwater combat, or is it just being an underwater in general? But either way, he's not here, and we're not. Definitely not using the Koatoa Whip here. Also, I have blocked this off dynamic lighting-wise. They can't actually see in here. Um, I was going to have this area be, like, choked off with skeletons and stuff, which is why this one token is here. Just a bunch of bones, dead bodies. I guess I could go ahead and X this out to show that they're dead bodies. They can kind of see that. But if I needed to bring in reinforcements, I could do it through here and just have, you know, skeletons come popping in here. But, it, again, if, if we had the full four-person team... Um, I would probably use that as a way of inserting more waves of creatures. and But I, I don't think we're going to need to do that. And I don't need this to be a big session-long fight either. In fact, it probably helps if it's not a full big session-long boss fight. The, the players have been through a lot already. They've been through, this will be their fifth session of doing the Neverwinter, you know, big harbor siege thing. Uh, and it would be nice if we could do the fight and then kind of add the falling action stuff uh, at the second half of this session, maybe, where they go around and actually pick up their new quests and get some 
you know, follow-ups on things, get some rewards uh, from people, including the Abolith should probably reward somebody with something. I don't know what's a good uh, what's a good item. We could look at like a tentacle rod or something. I'm trying to think of what a fun kind of Eldritch Horror Abolith style item uh, could be. I know you all are very good at helping me with items and creatures, so perhaps you can give me some good ideas on what they can specifically uh, reward somebody with probably specifically for Toro because they're, he's the one with the connection uh, versus having to give it to anybody. Obviously, he can offer to like enslave their minds and connect and link them to him, but they would probably not be a fan of that. And he would, he would, I don't know. I'm playing Zixaro like more familiar with, uh, I guess, less alien and eldritch and more familiar with human culture and customs uh and not not like a joke he not you know he's not like a jokey character or anything it's gonna be like a big twist where he's like got a fucking monocle or something like that i'm still gonna play it serious and creepy but less of a like really crazy eldritch horror uh you know bizarre creature thing because this guy's been in neverwinter for a while and maybe he's seen the you know benefits of working with uh, mankind and humanity, and uh, you just you know he's just been around them a while, so he's like picked up a lot of uh, reasonings and mannerisms and all that kind of thing. While still definitely has a superiority complex for sure, um, and he enjoys keeping. I think I, I, I I'm thinking like him as an information broker in a lot of ways. Like he just has his network and he wants to expand you know, his operations and his knowledge base and just kind of, he doesn't really have any grand plans. I don't think he's necessarily been part of the abolithic sovereignty at this point. Maybe he was at one point because they all are, I guess, but he just wants to, you know, get more information and kind of a progressive abolith. He's like, let me work with these, let me work with these people um, and keep tabs on everybody and just grow my own network. Maybe like a little bit of a mob boss, which is kind of how I also want to play, uh, play up the black dragon as well. When we get to that point, it's also going to be a bit of a twist that they reach him and it's not going to be a big, boss fight there it's just going to be a conversation hopefully <laughs> the players can obviously fight anybody they want in, in theory but that's my idea uh with Zixaro and then that would hopefully make him more amenable to being worked with uh you know because if he was just a monstrous threat then players would just kind of instantly nuke him and he will have kept tabs and have learned about uh the mind flayers the fact that they have uh you know, attacked and invaded a lot of the ocean. It's just kind of dumb luck that the Mind Flayers crash-landed with an Elder Brain on an island, and thus they, you know, were able to uh, corrupt and infect and spread around the ocean, uh, and specifically made their way fairly quickly into the uh, Kraken Society, and then ultimately even took over Slarkrothel himself, which is huge, which is huge, huge, huge. Now... I think Zixaro will have learned a lot of this uh, and be, you know, at this point in the session, we need to start getting like the main quest reveals for sure. The fact that Slarkrothel has been infected by the mind flayers. Uh, I, I think I'm, I'm prepared to give them that information. What the players won't know is where that is. And thus the middle part of this, you know, this was all considered like act one kind of with this being like the climax of act one. Uh, and then Act 2 is going to be trying to figure out where uh, the Elder Brain slash Sarkrothel is. As, and, and to get there, you have to follow the chain of like, well, then we also have to find Tentrix. 
and figure out where he is because he's the one person who would know because he kind of walks. He, he He's the liaison between being a Kraken priest but also being a pirate captain. So that'll be a big clue. Um, and Zixaro maybe can also give that information as well. I mean, I could just use him as really the main contact. I was thinking about having them, you know, talk to Lord Dagult Neverember and trying to go through that means. But honestly, having Zixaro be like kind of their main point of contact uh, could be fantastic going forward. Uh, and, and maybe I can get away with using some kind of like, you know, psychic powers or some kind of connection thing that would allow them to even connect with each other without having to use some kind of a, you know, D&D cell phone, i.e. the Sending Stone. Uh, yes, Avon, I use uh, Roll20. By the way, this map um, is from the Discord uh, channel. I guess I could upload it to mine, but it because it's just, I just found it for uh, on the Ghosts of Saltmarsh official Discord server uh, within the Call from the Deep and Maps channel which has some really great resources. Uh, Reddit's also a good resource. Obviously, the Roll20 Marketplace is a good resource. I try to mention every time I use uh, one of those, but I just I don't think you can link to uh, Discord properly. At least I haven't figured out how to, so I'm just telling information versus providing a link for it. But this was a really great map based on House of Knowledge because the original map looks like this, and obviously we don't want to play with that because <laughs> that's not a great map. Really, it's it's a big bummer about using this campaign both this one and ghosts of salt marsh which i do plan on using more ghosts of salt marsh salt marsh modules uh do not have full color maps so that's a bummer i i also like uh claustrophobic little dungeons occasionally jason i don't think you can use too many of them i think it can be frustrating for the players for all the wrong reasons but uh occasionally i do think they're very effective especially when we just had a bunch of outdoor locations and situations and then to go into this cramped thing and even mac was it's funny how uh He's so powerful outdoors and can hit everybody. But as soon as you end up with these tight, you know, corridors and L turns and things, and he's just like, ah, well, I'm just going to open this other door. <laughs> so it creates uh, kind of a bit of a challenge for the players to get around. But I think that's uh, all we have to worry about for House of Knowledge is this one kind of final battle. I'll play around with that paralyzing effect, the frightened effect of the Aboleth. Uh, let him do that psychic train ability. Otherwise, he'll pop out of it at some point once the players are kind of getting towards the tail end of it and maybe help you know, kick ass towards the end, but but he'll definitely be thankful. Uh, do we have any good ideas for item rewards from the Abelette? I feel like we need to give something uh, to them. Is it just, I could just search tentacle and see what we come up with here. I mean, clearly they need some kind of reward for helping everybody with Neverwinter. I mean, it was, they'll, they'll definitely get a big monetary reward as just helping show up and save everybody. They, they do owe uh, Captain Callus in some way. Tentacle Rod is the only item with the word tentacle in it. I find that hard to believe and disappointing. A little disappointing. It's a good one, though. I don't know when. I'm sure it's in Call from the Deep somewhere. I'm sure the players gain this item. You don't make a tentacle... Uh, you, don't, you don't make a nautical campaign that involves like Mind Flayers and Krakens without giving somebody a tentacle rod. Although, did we look at this before and it was not here? I think we did. Shocking. Trident of Fish Command's in here. Uh, let's see. Normally found in the Queen Spire. What is that? I don't know what that is. Smiling up from the sandbar to the southeast of Waterdeep is a shell-like tower. That is this just uh, one of those Chapter 3 things? Uh, 
Yeah, the Marin Conch. I did think about using the Umberlee's Cache, um, perhaps as a different dungeon somewhere. Dread High Trident Abilene came into possession of a Marin Conch. I don't know what this is from. Huh. Granite's base. Church of Umberlee. Surprise over. Trident High Trident Abilene. There's a Kraken Priest wielding a Trident of Fish Command. Hmm. So it is in the campaign, but I'm not quite sure where this Queen Spire is. Maybe is it just a location in Waterdeep? Because that they do break down some of the locations. Yeah, it is. Okay. So just this random Kraken Priest in Waterdeep is wielding this thing. That doesn't really count as a thing they're going to find in a dungeon then. <laughs> But that's a good one to have. While you carry it, you can use an action and expend one charge to cast Dominate Beast on a beast that has an innate swimming speed, which is would be very helpful to have, like, when they go to the Sawagan dungeon and fight a bunch of sharks, or, yeah, anywhere they fight, like, there's a crocodile somewhere. That could be a funny one. Thank you, Jacob. Yep, I got it. Water deep attack. Yeah, not actually from the dungeon, though, which is this one, Umberly's Cache, which... I may use in a different location. I, 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 I could use a lot of these little locations as uh, kind of random encounter type things that, that pop up uh, if I wanted to break up the action a little bit and just have some fun, you know, underwater areas for them to explore that are just completely self-contained. Especially if I give them the actual Merit Conch, which is like a genie lamp, but ocean-themed. be a hell of a one to get. Maybe that could be part of the plot line too, is like the Kraken Society is being sent out. That's not a bad idea. To like gather powerful items, like uh isn't that the plot of like some of the Indiana Jones like pulp movies and like Hellboy and uh what else am I trying to think of? Like all those like that's like the evil Nazi plot for like a lot of World War II like alt history stuff is that the bad guys are just searching for like ancient powerful artifacts. Uh, so I could crib that idea and just have it be like the, the Kraken Society uh, as fueled by, you know, the Mind Flayers. In fact, you know, the Elder Brain and everything. Maybe that's what they're being sent out to do is just finding uh, powerful artifacts scattered throughout the ocean. And it's just kind of up to the players if they want to grab some of these or, or raise them to the punch. That's that's a I should write that down because <laughs> we could use Umberly's cash and we could use the Omen's Isle location for at least two of them. Whoops, I didn't mean to blow that up. And see, part of this, though, is i got to find good maps for all these, so hopefully we can, but uh, that does make an excuse to do that. And the more I think about using th this content, the less I'm going to probably use of uh, the Ghost of Saltmarsh one. The two, we've done two of them, which is Sinister Secrets and Salvage Operation, which I enjoyed using, although I changed the hell out of Salvage Operation. Uh, and then the two I plan on using is the final enemy, which I'll have to rename that in my subtitling because it's <laughs> it's not the final enemy here. I uh, just call it Sawagan Fortress or something. Uh, but that'll be the end of the Sawagan quest chain of trying to eliminate them from a, being a threat. And the Styes, which is going to be one of the quests that Zixaro gives the players, the Aboleth. And he'll say, hey, I also know that they're building, which is another thing the Kraken Society, I guess, is doing. Um, is that they're, I guess, I guess I'm using Kraken Society like the Nazis, where they're just going around doing some 
evil supernatural stuff to like help bolster the war effort. Whereas the pirates, the Black Armada, is, are doing just the generic pirate shit and help covering everything. But they're they're basically covering for the more sinister stuff that's going on. They're the front, I suppose. But the main quest is locating Tentrix, uh, because locating Tentrix, which Gottwald has a tie to try to defeat him anyway from his backstory, will should lead them to the finale. Um, and they can be level, I think, 8 or 9 when they take on Tentrix, and then they'll be 10 or 11 by the time we get to Ascarl and the finale, which gives us, they'll be 6, they'll level up to 6 after this session, by the way. Uh, they should, uh, having, having finished the Neverwinter Siege at level 5, they can make it to 6. And then we've just got this kind of, the one chance that they've really got branching storylines and things to take out. And I really want to try to reuse prior NPCs and not introduce too many new ones if I can. Something I always respected from the Game of Thrones show over the books is how they were able to reuse fewer NP uh, NPCs, <laughs> characters <laughs> uh, to great effect because I think it, it does get a little confusing uh, when I was reading the books that there's just so many characters that come in and out because there's so many POVs and you're trying to remember who's associated with what. And I think the the show did a good job of reducing the number of characters and having instead those characters appear and be used in different ways that still made sense for the story. And that's something that uh, I, I think D&D can take advantage of for sure. And players like having like, oh yeah, there, there's this character again. For example... Um, I, I think I would like to replace, um, in fact, we can go ahead and look at that one. Uh, what's his name from the attack on Neverwinter, but I don't think it's actually in this section. Is it? I keep trying to look for this part, the pirate Skyhold quest, uh, which is how they were hired. It's not actually on here, is it? Parts of mercenaries hired through Garander the Vile, Arbeck, a member of the Kraken Society, paid the dragon to send the pirates to attack Zixaro, whose location was given away by the mayor. Well, we can re we don't need the mayor involved. That's fine. Um, in fact, that's wait, who is that? I don't even know who the mayor someone Galt is. I get is that in charge? Of anyway, we're not gonna use that character. Um, and we can replace Arbeck, who's just a new character, with Ned from the Sinister Secret of Saltmarsh because Ned has a fun relationship with the players. He very famously um, helped, you know, I was able to trick the players, which does not happen very often, where I could escort them to uh, the, well, hopefully you'll, I'm not spoiling anything, right? This is the crafting stream, you've all seen this, but uh, he escorted the players to the uh, haunted house, the the non-haunted house in Sinister Secret of Saltmarsh and was able to betray them in the second or third session, like stab Twirl in the back, literally, and then flee, and has never returned yet. And it would be a fun idea to have him go really down a dark path because the players were able to turn Sanbele and his crew kind of, um, not on the straight of narrow, but just kind of less murdery and more like, oh yeah, we're smugglers, but we've kind of got you guys as contacts. Um, our lovable anti, not even anti-heroes, but I don't know, just less evil. <laughs> But Ned then left, and that was one of their stipulations, is like, hey, we need Ned brought to justice. And they're like, well, we don't know where he is. Well, maybe Ned uh, fled town, joined the Kraken Society, turned into a deep scion, which would be a fantastic horror move. And I can then reveal, as a very fun reveal, when they get to the Pirate Skyhold and 
uh, talk to Garander the Vile, and he will be like, yeah, there was this guy who hired, um, introduced himself as Ned. <laughs> I don't know why he would use his real name, but it would just be easier for the players. And uh, hired me with gobs of gold and promise of corpses and fresh bodies and things to uh, subcontract my undead pirates that I have under my heel to attack this Aboleth in Neverwinter. And then, the, and then he'll be like, and I'm pretty sure, and, and maybe Garander can like sense that he's in Neverwinter or something, because I do want to give the players that lead. And then the players will go back to Neverwinter and can discover... Uh, Ned. Now, my idea was initially to run Temerat's fate as having Arbax slash Ned flee to that island, and then I can run that module from Ghosts of Saltmarsh. But now I'm leaning towards not doing that and instead expanding the pirate skyhold. So it's actually more of a dungeony uh, or outdoor exploration just to get to the Black Dragon, to, to do the Pirate Skyhold Earth Moat. And then when you go back to Neverwinter, I just pull like a single like tavern brawl chase sequence or something. Like I actually have it in the town and then maybe it end on the docks and then we can have, you know, a showdown with uh, Ned and him turning into a deep scion and all this kind of creepy stuff. And then Ned can get, once they finally get to Ned and, you know, presumably take him out, then he can reveal some information. And then of course his, I don't know, head will explode the boy style or something when he says too much because he's tied to, you know, the Kraken or something. So I give him some information there. So instead of it, instead of, I guess my initial thought was just to uh, montage through the earth moat, the pirate sky hold and have the players just meet with the dragon and then they get the, the net information and then they go do a dungeon. Now I'm leaning towards making the earth moat, the quote unquote dungeon section where it's like, we're going to go step by step through these different challenges and then you talk to the dragon and then you go back to Neverwinter and then it's just more of a chase scene or a thing. I'll, I'll still have to have a map for it when we get to the actual battle. So I'm curious to know what your all thoughts um, where that is. And also if you've done, if you know of any kind of good resources for earth moats, because I have spent a hilarious amount of time trying to figure out what kind of map I want to use for this earth moat thing. I do have a, let's see. I was going to do a handout. Is there a handout section? There is. Uh, I was going to add an image I found of what the Earth Moat could look like. Which is going to be this one. Funny enough, though, the main information I found was apparently from the Neverwinter um, MMO. Which I don't. Is that still functional? I've never played that one. Skyhold, but I think this is a little picture from it because I was really trying to like, okay, what does the Earth Moat look like? How big is it? I'm almost picturing the uh, like the Sky Islands from Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, where they're just all different sizes and they're just kind of floating, and there's a lot of verticality to them, which is very hard to do in a roll twenty top down battle map. I've looked up a lot of floating stuff, and a lot of them are castles which i don't think is what i'm going for here the description i found for the pirate sky hold which i don't think there's much of one unfortunately here in the book um is there's a swamp there's like a little town or or like a 
I don't know, a, a base, I guess, for pirates, like sky pirates. And then there's a skull-shaped stone or mountain fortress is what I could gather. So I'm thinking, well, I could either do a floating island map, which there are uh, maps that do that. In fact, Gabriel Picard has... Uh, we flip over real quick. Quick Encounters, Sky Islands, and also a Vile Tiles, uh, Sky Isle Mapper. So I could make my own, you know, sky thing. But then I'm like, but that's, is the Earth mode a lot bigger than that to where you would land and maybe it wouldn't really look like that, right? Because if it's like, because a, a, a lot of the floating island maps, they're like, you know, 50 feet across or something. That's a really tiny island, technically. Like, if it looks on the map, it looks big. But if you think about, like, the scale, that's super tiny. Like, so for a map to actually be big enough to have, like, the, um, like a swamp land and a village and then a mountain and everything, like, it's way bigger than a map would be, if that makes sense. So I guess you could either do a map that shows, like, the edge of the Earth mode, if you really wanted to have a battle or something on the very edge when they first get there. Or you just do whatever maps you want and just like, yeah, but you're floating. So you kind of lose the earth moat part of it, but, uh, you know, I don't know. The maps just feel like it would just be the map, right? You would just have a swamp map and like a mountain cave map. I, I did find a good uh, swampy cave map that could function as the actual layer of the dragon. Also, I was going to ask, how do they get here? <laughs> Because I don't really have a way of uh, getting them here. It's not very far from Neverwinter. I think it's visible. In fact, the Earth Moat is... We can go back to the Neverwinter map. But yeah, that's the visual I was going to use. Uh, which is just a Google image search. Uh, I guess I should read through this one too. And the, the reason I'm going over this one first, by the way, is because... So after, or even during the session, they'll be able to you know reconnect with some NPCs. Like Sambalay, I think, will give them some information. Zixara will give them some information. And uh, they'll learn all these different quest lines. And one of them can be that the undead pirates were are recognizable as being this feared crew of sky pirates who were once based out of the pirate stronghold. But legend has it they were destroyed uh, by a black dragon who then layers and took over the sky hold. And so the players will be like, well, I guess we got to follow up with that. So that's obviously a dangerous adventure location. And I think that's worth you know, putting some maps together for that. So it's really up to me on how I want this Earth Moat thing to look like. And because it's so close to Neverwinter physically versus all the other clues they'll get, I'm 99% sure they're going to hit that one up first. In fact, if you go to the Neverwinter Harbor map, which we've been using, uh, it's literally visible right here on the Harbor map. Like, that's how close it is. I don't know if this one is to scale. Well, maybe it is. Maybe I actually did that work. I forget. But it is 1,500 feet from, like, the Neverwinter walls. And then, obviously, it's 100 feet up. So, I don't know. Can they... I assume they can just, like, rent hippogriffs or something would be the easiest thing to do. It would cost money. I'd have to go back and see how much Chris charged us in Storm King's Thunders the last time I think we did this. We had to worry about, like, travel from city to city. But I can't imagine Neverwinter wouldn't have some aerial means of getting around. If it were Dragonlance, you'd probably have some kind of, like, gnomish helicopter thing you could take, but I think here the individual hippogriffs would be the idea. I can't imagine a skyship would be fairly uh, popular or a thing you could happen. And I could have some kind of uh, bird monster creature harry the players uh, you know, while they're 
getting up there or something make it a little bit of a challenge? I don't know if that's worth doing or what kind of creatures would be there. Is it not going to be inside or outside? Could you reuse Fort Belwarian and add some swamp area? I don't know if it would be... I don't know how much structure is still here. Let's see if we can find some information. North of the city floats an almost inaccessible earth moat named Pirate Skyhold. Atop this floating hunk of stone is a fortress. Well, fuck me, it says a fortress, Eric. Built by pirates long ago to store their treasures. The fort drew the attention of the adult black dragon, Garander the Vile. Why did I think this was a skull stone thing, then? Who destroyed most of the fortress, killed the resident pirates, and claimed the earth moat for his own. Well, maybe I can use some of those floating castles, then. Many have attempted to oust the dragon, but all have failed. Luckily for Neverwinter, Garander is too busy to do much himself, preferring to hire out his mercenaries to gather treasure, including Bartholomew Black Dagger, a Sky Pirate Captain, whose crew attempted to plunder the dragon's hoard, cursed by undeath, and now serves him. Must fly a hundred feet to the Earth Moat. There they encounter Garander the Vile and his lizard folk minions. Which we can obviously change that up if we need to. Although I do think lizard folk are pretty appropriate. The only issue I would want to change it is because. I also plan on using Lizard Folk with the final enemy because the Sawagan literally took over a Lizard Folk layer and then flooded like half of it. So uh, being able to meet with the Lizard Folk and get the quest to, uh, you know, help basically reclaim their home and also destroy the Sawagan threat uh, is how I would introduce them. And then maybe I can have the ties to like maybe Sabras from that area or something and do something fun with them. But these Lizard Folk would just be purely like hostile, I think. Talks about some loot that he's got, including a skyship that I don't think I would want to give the players because that kind of breaks the game, at least at this point. Uh, and then everything else just talks about the story stuff, which is not relevant here. For some reason, if they found this out before the actual attack happens. Uh, Carinder knows the Kraken Society has something to do with it, but doesn't know why they want Zixaro dead, which is true. Only that he'll be paid well for the use of his mercenaries. Doesn't go into details how much he was paid. Garner was contacted by someone named Arbeck and believes he's working for Sea King Tentrix. Okay, so he doesn't know that much. So, think of the size of the Netherese city from Rhyme of the Campaign. Right, which that was... Mono, that was um, not even a single battle map, right? That was an overland map area. I don't know if I want to go that far with it, frankly. If I want to turn the earth moat into its own overland area with like points of interest that might be getting too involved. I don't, Hmm. I don't know. That's interesting. I guess I haven't found a map that can do that either. Just, that's just a, a look. It's like an earth moat, but from distance instead of being like a battle map, and then have individual battle maps within those zones. Maybe. What about the castle from the dragon campaign? Isn't there a whole fucking swamp castle in that campaign? Am I crazy? I don't even know if I have. I certainly have that somewhere, don't I? What was it called? I just searched dragon. <laughs> uh, is it Horde of the Dragon Queen? 
or is it it's right as rise of tiamat i don't remember i should just make a new one this is old by the way this is so old this is when they had to, this is before they let me make games <laughs> and had somebody make me a game this would have been years and years and years ago um several roll 20 representatives ago which one is this right can somebody tell me about this castle Neritar. i think this is what i'm thinking of can we have found this sooner than the chat did uh or is that i don't know if i can actually add this map to my campaign that would I tried to find it somewhere else. Dungeon, Castle, Neritar, Ground Floor. This map art is a little different. God, they also had to blow it the fuck up because I think this is like 10 foot square battle maps. Look at how much of having to zoom. Oh, that's, that's right. That's at literal the bottom half of it. Okay. This is probably way too big. That is like a swamp castle. There's a lot of shit in here. The Bullywug one. Oh, fuck, that's a good picture, though. <laughs> Is that too castle-looking? Too much like a castle? I, just, I don't know why I remember this one. It's like a... It's a castle in a swamp. Chapter 6 of Horde of the Dragon Queen. But I think it's too big. Hmm. I don't know if I want to make that much of a fortress here. I think I'd rather do swamp encounter and then a smaller, like, keep looking thing. I mean, yeah, because I found some good. Uh, you know what, now that I open a new one, I bet my music's not going to work. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and exit out of that. Let me test it for a second. Oh, no, it does work. Alright, sorry. <laughs> I, I've, I've had it before where you have multiple uh, Roll20 games open. That kind of fucks up the jukebox thing a little bit. I have found some, like, floating castle things. A lot of them tend to be floating castles, so maybe that's more the direction I need to go in. I don't know why I missed the fact that it was a, a fortress built by pirates long ago to store their treasures. I guess maybe I, I found that on the Neverwinter wiki where I was looking up the pirate skyhold information. So part of the issue here is I'm expanding an area that is not mapped. And uh, the designer, who, who I adore, kind of went for a, a quantity over quality approach when it came to a lot of these individual areas. So they just give you a whole bunch of options to work with in, in chapter three and then all these locations in the city. But very few of the areas are taken to a, a deep dive uh, and given like full-on maps and scripted encounters and stuff. Oh, yeah, there's the balloon packs from Prince of the Apocalypse. Uh, yeah, that was that was from Prince's. 
I think it was from Prince's, wasn't it? Maybe there was a balloon pack in tune, now that I think about it. It was both of them. Maybe they reused it from Prince's? Since you've never needs a crazy no mission adventure with a little explosive gases and large balloons. I mean, I could... We could do that. Is, is that not, that's not a bridge too far for the Forgotten Realms, right? You could just have, like, yeah, this person's got a hot air balloon that you can take up there. And, uh, and honestly, that could make for a more interesting encounter because then you do the classic, like, beat-em-up style map, which every old-school beat-em-up has a section that does this where you're on, like, a fucking elevator or something with a very small thing. You're not scrolling to the right. Instead, you're just, you know moving up it's making it look like you're moving up and enemies are just dropping in <laughs> from off screen uh in this case you could use i don't know some kind of flying creatures that can harry the players while they're in a hot air balloon so i'm seeing how that could be a lot more interesting than just renting a bunch of hippogriffs and flying up there and then i can use yeah very fun eccentric uh inventor character do we have a past fun inventor character i could use um, I mean, Edmund was an artificer. I don't know if he would be, if he would have built a hot air balloon and be currently based in Neverwinter, but maybe that would be a fun move. Or is there somebody who's older? Uh, nobody's really played any other kind of, like, mechanical-based character, I feel like. Edmund would be the closest one. And Edmund was more, I, like, worked with... Chardolin and things, but I don't necessarily wasn't necessarily uh, building stuff. But it's something I could maybe talk to the player about if we could reuse it. Otherwise, we just use an NPC, I suppose. Or was there a past NPC I could use? That could also be a fun opportunity versus having to introduce a new one. The gnome from Rhyme. Oh, we have to be more. I'm embarrassed to say, I have to be more specific. I don't recall. Gnome from Rhyme, the one hiding with the oh, um, gosh, I guess, uh, Realm Romwood or something like that. The guy with the made, yeah, he was like, he gave himself a goblin suit or something. He did survive the events. I think he went to Bryn Shander and had a bunch of inventions. Uh, that could be kind of a cute reference and i could even have the whole goblin thing or the whole uh balloon be like branded as looking like a goblin for some reason <laughs> because that's his whole shtick maybe he wears like a goblin hat or something that's a, that's a fun idea i'll write that one down let's see where we call from the deep so this includes the this is i guess the ghost pirate section Travel to. I like. I'm really liking the hot air balloon idea too. I have to look up his actual name. I don't remember his name, <laughs> but that's a cute one. I like that. Isn't is a hot air balloon not just one giant balloon pack? It comes down to it, and maybe he's got the maybe he's got a cool thing where it's like a trapped, you know, air elemental in there or something. It seems to be always when they talk about some kind of cool, like, you know, if there's a locomotion or something going on, a forge, it's always a just a trapped elemental, which, man, the morality of using those kind of inventions then. 
Yeah, definitely hawking some genocide or two. Yeah, no, I think that I think that's a fun idea, and we could definitely use that as a as a means to get there. And and I would be remiss if we didn't use some kind of encounter for that, right? Like some kind of bird monsters. I don't know off the top of my head. Um, probably not ones that are uh, sentient. So some kind of bestial bird monster, like maybe a periton. Although I think peritons are actually pretty intelligent. Uh, we could we could search by monsters who have flight. I fear that would be. Let's see if we can search by speed. I think it's actually fly, not flight. And beast. I don't know if that will work correctly. Let's see if that works. Flying beasts. Aha! Do have some flying beasts. Okay. A couple of Archaeopteryxes. There we go. Balloon spider from Tomb of Beasts 2. That's creepy. Mosquitoes, crows. I do have all the Tomb of Beasts in here. Uh, multiple big dinosaur things. I don't want to go like too wild with it, right? It's just... Creatures that would hang around uh, an earth moat, but the earth moat's got like swampy and is like filled with pestilence and shit, like because of the black dragon's influence. Spellix Romwad, thank you. I was close. <laughs> oh, flying snakes would be a thing, if that's even worth. I guess the danger would be it would like entangle. Maybe a swarms of something. I wouldn't do gigantic things, but insects would be pretty appropriate. Uh, what other flying creature would be around like a, a flying swamp, basically? A murder of crows. Swarms of crows can be interesting. Just a straight up pteranodon. Sturges. Yeah, that's a classic one. That's just straight up from the monster manual, too. Space eel. Yeah, sturge. But it's not like a swarm of sturges. Like, there is a swarm of everything else. There is a swarm of sturges. And the monster manual expanded. Thank you, Dragon X. With your excellent monster manual expanded. Literally do a swarm of sturges. Yeah, that could be, that could be pretty good. You could, I wonder if anybody's done like a combination where you could do like a swarm but also have some individuals off to the side just to help soak up some attacks or something. Yeah, that could be interesting. And I bet we could come up with a viable hot air balloon map. Ooh, giant mosquito. Yeah. I mean, you could just reflavor. Uh, what, what, a giant mosquito is basically just a combination sturge plus giant wasp, I think. Because Sturge already has the blood drain ability. So you would just scale that up. Mesquite, yeah, actually, mosquitoes would be great. And terrifying. Giant mosquito with this nasty-ass, like, needle mouth thing. Ugh. That could be very cool. Yeah, that's, that's actually a cool picture of it, too. Just this long-ass thing sticking right in him. Ugh. 
it was anything like our world, it would be the worst for just pure diseases. Yeah, I like that idea, just a boosted Sturge. And a couple of them. Because the players will be level 6 by the time they do this, right? They'll be 6th level. Uh, we presume this will be the first one that they do, which is the Pirate Skyhold thing. Even though they're going to have multiple paths, multiple quests um, to tackle right out of the gate of Neverwinter after all of this. Uh, and I'd love to give them the chance to make their own decisions on where to go. But this one, like, literally pretty much all takes place in and around Neverwinter. So it just makes sense to just tackle this one uh, first, which is why that'll be the one that I prep first. And then hopefully while I'm prepping this, we can get ahead and make sure to get some other areas taken care of. Because it will be a little bit nervous going forward after this that they'll have the wider open world to, to tackle. And I, I do love D&D Adventures that have open world sections or at least limited open world sections um you know like an overland air like the Dasaran valley or uh the recent dragonlands campaign is a really good example of that where like one chapter i think is just all in this one uh, area that has its own overland hex crawl map with different areas that you only know of a couple of them and then more will open up as you do more things it just it's very well organized and designed um i i like it that have that be a section and not like the entire campaign like that. Basically, like the intro should be pretty scripted to get things going. Then at some point you can go out to your open world stuff as you've got multiple tasks. And then at some point things should narrow again while you kind of do the finale section, which should obviously be uh, pretty linear and scripted as well. I feel like that's that's the that's the the general pacing I like when I'm looking at adventures and campaigns, and uh, I think how I like to do mine as well which i think all of mine have done that to some extent i think princess was probably the hardest because the dungeons themselves were all connected with each other which makes it really tricky to keep the players on a certain path if you want them to uh and that one never really does enter into a final linear section although and the, on the and it suffers because it also doesn't have a like central villain in that campaign either Oh, I hope it's not choppy. Um, according to my thing, I've not dropped any frames. I've I've been singing the praises of finally getting fiber optic installed. We unfortunately I couldn't stream last Friday because they were literally burying the line, which screwed my whole schedule up. But um, as far as I'm aware, it has been rock solid since they installed it, which I'm very very pleased about it. So hopefully, no more internet issues. We can just go back to having. Uh, you know, regular computer issues, Roll20 issues, Discord issues, all that. But just, at least we won't blame the internet. Campaign Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus is very good for that type of play. Uh, that's probably the campaign I know the least. I reviewed it once, obviously when it came out, and then never looked at it again. Uh, but you're right, I think it does start off obviously very linearly with uh, the Elturel thing getting pulled in there. And then at some point, yeah, I think you get to go like two different major paths... But then each path has its own, like, kind of open-world, overland, extended section before, yeah, getting into the finale. Sorry, Jason. Buffering. Uh, yeah, we've got to talk about the Aboleth reward. So, Tentacle... I can't believe Tentacle Rod is not in here. Maybe it's the right time to give somebody a Tentacle Rod? I don't know. He could, like, literally, like, chop off one of his tentacles, or something, like, one of his small tentacles, and... Give it to somebody and have that be a tentacle rod. Holding a tentacle, use an action to direct each tentacle to attack a creature. And maybe this will make Toro, because I, I do feel bad that Reese has kind of fallen into the trap, like Chris has said, 
about just kind of auto attacking every single action. Um, I mean, technically, Mac could do that as well, but Mac also has like an extra, and, and I guess Twirl's got the the tentacle that he can summon, which is one extra thing he can do. But I don't know. Raymond always makes whatever character he's playing kind of batshit crazy because he does all these extra things in action and stuff. I think Reese falls into the trap of just doing his most efficient thing, which is just attacking with Eldritch Blast. And maybe giving him something like this that's very heavily thematic will give him some more options. Uh, you can direct. You can use an action direct each tentacle to attack a creature you can see within 15 feet of you. You could also just not even... Uh, you could reflavor anything as a tentacle rod, right? You could just... Uh, the Aboleth could transform... Uh, which I always do the body horror stuff to Reese. <laughs> could transform like one of his arms into like this tentacle that like can explode into three tentacles or something crazy, you know, and just be like, hey, as part of your reward, I will give you, grant you some extra power. And maybe, or, or maybe it just looks like an arm, but it, you know, the deep scion, they can, they can look like uh, people, but then they explode in their mouths and stuff like in Blade 2, where just the whole jaw like splits open and then they go, crazy creepy maybe that's something that Toro can do where his arm looks perfectly fine but then when he wants to he can use an action to just split his arm itself into like three tentacles although the attunement is kind of important I guess <laughs> you'd have to attune your own arm uh, each tentacle makes a melee attack roll with a plus nine bonus that's bonkers plus nine uh, scales pretty damn well for this level what is everybody's pluses for right now I think plus nine is crazy, but I haven't actually looked at their sheets lately. Uh, so right now, Twirl, oh, Twirl's a bit of a hybrid. He's a Warlock fighter. His Eldritch Blast is a plus six. Let's look at somebody like Gottwald. Gottwald's got a plus seven with his normal stuff, and then his plus one axe, he's got a plus eight on. And I'm sure Mac is... At least a plus nine with the freaking broken feats. Really? It's only his plus one bow gives him a plus eight. Okay. I guess it's just all his modifiers though, right? Because fighting style gives him another plus two and then sharpshooter gives him a minus five. So technically if he has fight, if he has sharpshooter off, he has a plus ten to hit with his bow. So plus nine is pretty damn good. On a hit, the tentacle deals 1d6 bludgeoning damage, which is not very much and is not as good as his Eldritch Blast. But you're doing three of them. If you target with three tentacles, it must make a DC 15 con saving throw and a failure. The creature's speed is halved and has disadvantage on deck saves and it can't use reactions for one minute. Pretty specific debuff. And it can either take an action or a bonus action, but not both. Uh, in fact, I think that's the slow spell. Is that exactly the slow spell? <laughs> I think I just described the slow spell. Which I have PTSD from that spell from our last campaign. Speed is halved. Minus two penalty to AC and dex. Can't use reactions. And has to choose to either take an action or a bonus action, but not both. That's very similar here, although this one's easier rules. Doesn't affect AC at all, but does have disadvantage on deck saves. But also can't use reactions and either take an action or bonus action, not both. Does get a chance to repeat the save. So, it it's not so much if you want to do damage, but actually if you want to... D6 
debuff them. That's weird that the tentacles don't restrain. They instead just have your speed. But I guess you're also not actually holding them when you throw your tentacles out, right? You're just, I don't know, debuffing them uniquely? Didn't say you have to sit there and hold them. But that might be a cool thing to give uh, Toral as a unique thing. Anyway, uh, I think that's going to do it for... Gosh, we, we have to talk about a lot about the Earth Mode, which is good, because we're going to have to get there. I think we're getting there next week. <laughs> uh, that is going to do it for this Thursday edition of Crafting the Deep. If you enjoy the content, please do check out patreon.com slash... Rogue Watson, as always, thank you to the patrons. Shouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Thomas, Stan, Brandon, Genocide, Eclectic, Roleplay, Roll, Christopher, Quarry, Big Nut, John F., John L., Scott, Eric, Tyler, Nathan, Camp, Crystal Lake, Counselor, Andrew, Dale, The Reldron, Captain Woody 79, Stephanie, Andy, Patrick, Jason, Ismail, Amit, Lumpy, Spuds, and Gold Patrons, RPG, Papercraft, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Delizid Lounge, Sam, Drome, Nathan, Fasa, Gatorta, Scott, Refus, Carolyn, Jerry, Thomas, and Glenn. Thank you all very much for your support. If you have signed up for the patron game, I will see you all tonight, but for the rest of you, I will see you for our DD show. No, it's not going to work tomorrow night. Let me refresh it. Refresh. Nope. See, it's going to do Horde of the Dragon Queen. Don't do that. You're fucking it up. You're fucking it up. All right. We'll go here. Launch game. See? I told you the music was going to mess up, and I didn't test the uh, outro music. That's what happens when you start a new one. And we are out. <laughs>